As you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. For this week only, we are having a massive sale providing 50% off any weekly betting subscription. Use code GET50 for 50% off any weekly betting package at sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football family? This is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are already here in week seven. It's going to be a, a weird one in week seven as well. Uh, but, you know, hopefully everyone is sitting on, you know, let's say, you know, five, five fantasy wins. If you got four, if you got three, there's still a lot of runway here to make some moves. Uh, hopefully everyone's hitting those cash lines every week. And today in week seven, I brought on a resident uh, Ohioan guest. Uh, you know, everyone knows that I'm a little bit west of Cleveland, but uh, I brought on uh, someone that I got to meet for the first time in Canton at the Fantasy Football Expo this summer. And he gave me a, a growler of his uh, homebrewed milkshake stout. Uh, it is Chris Allen from 4 for 4 Football. He also does stuff for football guys, NBC Sports Edge. You can find him out there. Chris, what is going on, brother? Hey, man, I'm just ex- excited we get a chance to chop it up this morning. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, man, I'm glad you enjoyed the, the homebrew. I mean, I was passing those things out like left and right uh, at the expo, but more than happy to send some up your way the next time I get a chance. Yeah, yeah. My wife was like, did you go somewhere and get beer? I was like, nah, nah, you know, uh, buddy Christy, <laughs> he, he, he bakes it, puts it in competition. So uh, how, when was the most recent competition? How'd it go? Uh, it was uh, it was in August. Uh, I didn't place uh, this year, uh, which is somewhat unfortunate. Uh, I put in a couple of entries uh, to this kegging competition that happens down in Cincinnati like each year. Uh, but you know, I'll be back next year and I'll put the, I'll, I'll concoct a couple more things uh, for for next season and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. In the lab, you know, there's a if there was a Venn diagram for, you know, fantasy football analysts and uh, craft beer enthusiasts and smoked meats, uh, it'd be a perfect circle. You cover that world too as well. So yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. But before we jump into some of the things about week seven and, and some of the things that we're going to dive into, you know, for fantasy, well, one of the things I always like to do is, you know, kind of introduce the guests and, you know, kind of introduce them to the audience and let them be able to tell kind of their, their story, not their full line, you know, to give me the full soliloquy of the journey that got you here, but just kind of, you know, your background, what got you into fantasy football, what kind of put you on this path? And, uh, you know, how you're enjoying it so far. Oh, actually, uh, one of the things, uh, the two things that kind of got me onto this path. Uh, one was I had the I had the good fortune of getting selected to play in a fantasy football league uh, with uh, Matt Harmon and uh, Matt Franciscovich. This was back in uh, either 2016 or 2017 uh, when I was really just learning and listening about fantasy football. Like I didn't get into fantasy football the same way that other folks did, like playing Madden and so on and so forth. Uh, I didn't start playing until like 2011, 2012. Didn't really get into it seriously until like 2015, 2016. And I got selected to play in the league with Harmon. uh, And I believe that was the same year. Uh, You remember the corner by the name of Sharice Wright? Yeah. Uh, They were actually, so it was uh, Baltimore against Washington uh, back in week five. And that was when I believe like everybody was talking about Deshaun Jackson was going to burn like a Sharice Wright. He was going to wind up having just this massive game. I mean, just bank on it. Kirk Cousins is going to wind up like, you know, being one of the top quarterbacks for the week. Kirk Cousins winds up. I mean, he didn't wind up having just an awful game, but Deshaun Jackson only goes for, I believe it was like three for 35. Sharice Wright actually didn't even play in that game. I thought he got benched if I'm remembering correctly. But when everybody was talking about that game after the fact, it was, well, there were, you know, 15, 16 mile per hour wins. Uh, so that might have caused you know, uh, Kirk Cousins not to really look Deshaun Jackson's way because we know he's more of a deep threat uh, than really being like one of those possession receivers that we would really want, like from a PPR perspective. And when I heard that, it was just one of those things that I, I'm always been like the curious type to try and challenge conventional wisdom. And it just kind of like, it just gave me one of those like, like quick ticks. And I was like, uh, is, that, is that really the case? Is that always the truth when it comes to like high wind games. And so I started digging into it a bit more and that's really where things kind of took off from there. Just doing rudimentary studies, pulling data from sites like pro football reference, even started mining some of the like past uh, betting data, like from Warren Sharp that he had available in order to see like, are there any sort of 
uh, trends that we can pull from weather data to see like what actually impacts the games, like from a weather perspective. And there, there have been studies like here and there, even folks like Brian Burke, like the godfather of analytics, like mm-hmm. he's put together like studies back in like the 2011, 2012 timeframe, but just trying to see like what the actual impact is what takeaways we can we can use to actually give us a sense of what to expect from a i guess projection standpoint like in, like inside these games inside these game environments that we're uh, that we try and uh, i guess project for on a weekly basis and that's what kind of started all of this that's kind of put me to where I'm at today Nice. That's beautiful. It's tough to see cornerback wide receiver matchups taking L's all the way back in 2011. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. You know, the tale is old as time. Uh, yeah. Now, it, it, and I might be mistaken, but I believe you, you told me you're, you were in the Air Force, right? No, I'm a civilian now, though. Yeah. Oh, but is, does that tie into any of your your kind of your, your you know am I am I going a bridge too far with the wind corollary? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Actually, I have like I I have like uh, I've, I've been somewhat uh, moonlighted as a uh, as an aerodynamicist like for for the Air Force as a civilian. Like part of my background as an engineer, uh, structural mechanics is to look at things. I uh, do like finite element modeling. And that also has kind of moved into like computational fluid dynamics. So actually looking at how like weather or like not weather specifically, but how wind affects mm-hmm. things like like aircraft structures and things like that. So, yeah, it's not outside of my, my expertise, but trying to apply it to something like football. I mean, that's a little bit different. But, yeah, the, having at least <laughs> I do have at least a decent technical background in this area. Nice. So, hey, listen, put it on there. It sounds cool. Uh, so you yeah, got a lot of people got kind of a, a, a grasp of, of kind of what you're bringing to the table here. And the reason why I wanted to have you on this time of year is because of the weather is turning you know we're in the northeast started to get some bad weather you know hey it was it was 45 degrees this morning you know I, oh you know, yeah it, it's gonna uh-huh. warm up you know uh i sent my kids with with long sleeves on they could take them off during the day when it gets back up to 70 when the you know the, the sun is out and we're at midday but you know we start to get a lot of questions we start to see in fantasy football a lot of people start to question things well, i heard there's gonna be wind in this game we saw it last week with cleveland arizona um mm-hmm. There's, there's snow or there's going to be a thunderstorm and people, you know, will send me questions. You know, I listen, I'm no meteorologist. I know it says that I'm a fantasy football meteorologist in my bio, uh, <laughs> but you know, th- there's, there's, it's like injuries with, with Edwin Porter's like, you know, the, I don't have a lot of background for that. I read, I trust the real people that are now are knowledgeable in the information they're doing the actual work instead of just doing guesswork. Uh, and you are one of these people that have done the background, all the homework on what, matters as far as weather in fantasy football and some of the do's and don'ts and some of the things we should really care about so let's kind of you know go over kind of some of the things provide just a foundation for people to kind of come back to you out throughout the rest of the season as we start to get some cold weather wind rain games from here on through the rest of the season what are some of the things that that truly matter when we're talking about weather for fantasy football like what's the most you don't say the most important thing but just kind of steer this wherever you want to go and and provide some of the data that you've done and the research you've you've done over the years i would say that the biggest thing is don't overreact to when you hear that there's going to be wind in any particular game rain in any particular game or snow in any particular game to be uh, to be that matter uh, for that matter rather um, cause it's really just a question of how much of either element, to be quite honest, when we talk about winds, some folks, especially this, uh, this past week, when you're talking about the Arizona Cleveland game, it was winds projected to be over 15 miles an hour. Okay, fine. But how much, like how much over 15 miles per hour and the same thing with rain folks say, how much rain are we talking just a light drizzle? Or are we talking about what was it week seven when Washington and San Francisco played a couple of years ago and we saw like Bosa and Kittle just sliding across the turf <laughs> uh, or the same thing like w- with snow. Are we talking about that game? What was it maybe two years ago with like Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy, like, you know, rolling around in the snow and they had to clear the spot for, oh, who was it? Uh, the kicker for, from the Colts that wound up, they had to like uh, shove away some snow like real quick in order for him to kick a field goal. Yeah, it was Vinatieri, so wasn't it? Yeah, Vinatieri, yeah. that's right, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like stuff like that. Like we remember those extreme cases, but that's not always going to be the norm. So that's why I always ask the question like, well, how much wind, how much rain and how much snow? And each of those like wind up creating a specific data point that allow us to try and figure out like well, what our expectations should be for each of those games. And I think uh, Adam Harstad, um, like one of his sayings on Twitter is that like anything interesting becomes selection bias, like when it comes to data, like from a data perspective. And I believe that's on, like 
to be honest, I think the data kind of shows that because if you look at the actual games that have impacted, uh, the actual games that have been impacted by weather, it's actually a really small sample size. Like my database goes back to uh, the 2016 uh, season and I'm, I'm continuing to add to it like as the, as the seasons go on. But since the 2016 season, that's like five seasons, I take out week 17. So we're we looking at about like, was that 230 games, like somewhere in that, in that time frame, So or somewhere in that range, so about 1200 total games. And in those games, like we were uh, for games over 15 mile per hour wins, we're only looking at just over a hundred games. So that's about like an eight, eight, nine percent sample with games over 20 miles per hour, just like 24 games. So that's like almost a 2% sample and games over 25 miles an hour, like the Cleveland games from last year, that only accounts for less than like a half a percent of those games over the last like five seasons. So while from a cognitive bias standpoint, like we always seem to remember like those games, like those extreme games where we see trash like going all over the place, it's, uh, the game total is fairly low, passing attempts are always low as well. Like those are the games that we remember. And we always try and uh, extrapolate what the expectations are going to be for games with lesser wins. And I think that's the, that's the wrong way to approach it because not every game is going to be the same. Not every passer is going to be uh, affected the same way. Because if that were the case, you would be able to measure how those games are affected uh, just with intent. And by intent, I mean how the teams are preparing for those games. If we were able to uh, try and back out like what how the teams were preparing for those games, we would see changes in neutral passing rate, pass rate over expectation, even intended air yards like per pass, where that's, that's generally not the case. It's only in those extreme games. Like from a median perspective, when we're looking at games where the, uh, from a nominal perspective, where the wind speeds are about 15 to 17 miles per hour, which is in the range of like what we saw like in Cleveland, the median drop is only about like 1.56 air yards, which is really negligible, like from a passing perspective. Like nobody's really changing their stance on a quarterback. Like if they're, we're only expecting him to see like uh, just a drop in 1.56 air yards, like we're not caring about anything of that. Like from a completion percentage over expected standpoint, again, if we're looking at just a median perspective, there's only a drop in a, like a percentage drop of about like half a percent as well from a CPOE perspective. So we're not changing our stance on any of those quarterbacks. And the same thing from an EPA pers uh, perspective. So if we're, uh, the median drop is only like 0.12. So we don't care about like drops in efficiency as well. Like if we're talking about that range, it's just when things get to the extreme points. So again, like those uh, games in weeks eight and 10, like when the neutral passing rates like dropped for Cleveland, when uh, the uh, the passing rates like also dropped for, Cle uh, for Cleveland as well, like when they dropped into the 30% like range, which was much different, uh, like significantly like below their baseline th uh, throughout most of the season, I guess until we got into the back end when things started to click for Cleveland, like that's when you should start to care. It's at the, it's always at the extremes, like when things start to change and we would expect that to be the case anyway. So I think for the most part, I think the largest reaction that I see, the biggest no-no that I see for a lot of folks is that we try and gauge or we try and take the extreme and extrapolate that back to things that are like relatively normal from a weather perspective. And that's where we start to like come into like, why can't we just look at this game as we, as we typically would? Because that's how things played out. Like, look how the games played out like this past week. I mean, Cleveland wound up having just a, a quote unquote, let's say normal game from an intent standpoint. I mean, the neutral passing rate was what, 60, 70 percent, like before, like, you know, Baker Mayfield wound up shredding his shoulder even more. He wound up having what a 10 to 11 percent like deep ball rate. Well, those two deep shots to like Donovan Peoples-Jones, even though one was a Hail Mary, we're not expecting that again. But either way, it's just there's nothing that changed outside of our expectations for that particular game. So if there's not going to be a change in expectation. If there's no change in, in, in intent from the team, there's no change in intent from the quarterback, why should, we, why should we particularly care about it and try and add on yet another variable to an already, uh, an already difficult game to project? So that's where, like, from my standpoint, it's easier for us, like for folks that are building models, like whether they be from the top down or bottom up, to just trust our projections, like for from a median standpoint, until we get into some of those extreme games, like once we get past 25 miles per hour winds, once we get past like rain, at least from a, I look at things from a uh, precipitation rate. So uh, 0.06 inches per hour, that's really where you start to actually see the rain coming down if you're looking at just from the uh, the normal, like, uh, was it the, the, the typical, like camera angle that we get, like from the stadiums, uh, from the stadium perspective. So that once we actually can see the rain, once we actually see the snow, like accumulating on the field, that's where I start to get concerned. But otherwise I think we should be able to approach the game from a normal standpoint. 
Nice. I love that. And you already see it too on Thursday night. I think they're supposed to be in the Cleveland game again, that 15, 18 mile power wins. Oh, that'll so you'll be fun. See, so you'll see it again with Teddy Bridgewater. People will talk about Teddy Bridgewater. So I mean, we won't uh, get too, too deep into the weeds on uh, Thursday night because this will, this will run a little bit, uh, you know, further into the weekend. Uh, but yeah, I love that. You know, I've never made a good decision based on weather and fantasy football, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but yeah, you know, definitely we talk about those outlier games. Like you said, there's a reason they stick out. So, I mean, it's nice to hear that and, you know, and, and hear some of the data that backs that up. Like you said, we if the team's not going to alter their approach, then there shouldn't be a, a point where it impacts our decision too. It's not impacting actual play calls on the football field. It shouldn't be uh, impacting us. I mean, there I can think of so many different examples of times where I got burned by that. I remember the Raiders played a game in, against, I think it was against the Vikings uh, in L.A., and uh, I remember when they were still Oakland and there was like supposed to be 30 mile per hour wind gust and it was a late game. And it was a game everyone was supposed to be on because both defense are bad at the time. And, you know, everyone kind of came off of it and it ended up being like 35 to 30, like both quarterbacks threw <laughs> for 300 yards. And it was just like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's the, the same thing plays out always. So, I mean, it's nice to hear that kind of, you know, uh, laid out and, and some groundwork for people to kind of come back to you as, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to get those decisions and inflection points coming up over the remaining, you know, 11 weeks now of the season, you know, especially. Right, right, right. I think the only <laughs> thing that uh, I'm still not 100% sure on, because it gets into more, I don't want to say pseudoscience, but just like outside of my area expertise is temperature. So like if we're talking about the really cold weather games, like 15 degrees or, or lesser, like that's where it starts to get into like a physical therapy. And like, I've, I've actually reached out to folks like Edwin Poros uh, to better understand like, well, what the, can we actually quantify like grip strength for a quarterback? Like once we get into cold or even just like tissue pliability for wide receivers or running backs, like, it, you know, if we're asking to run routes in the cold and how it affects mm-hmm. them. And there's not a ton of data to support that. So I'm trying to dig into it a bit more. So once we get into like maybe like late November, December, and then even January, since like now the regular season extends into January, which is great for folks with families, uh, <laughs> you know, for content creators. But uh, I think that's where things start to like kind of go off at least out of like my area of expertise. But we haven't seen a ton to really say that you know, don't play those guys or, or whatever. But again, that's, that's one of those games that stick out because what was it maybe four or five years ago? Was it Seattle versus Minnesota, that playoff game that was played in like mm-hmm. zero degrees or, or something like that? And the, like the you know, score was really on. It was Blair Walsh like missed a field yep. goal to end that game. Uh, so that's one of the games that stick out. But again, there's really nothing to suggest, or at least the data doesn't particularly back up or at least show like a significant number of samples for us to say we shouldn't play players in that game. So that that's one area that I know I still need to do work on. But it's just I mean, from from a weather perspective, it's just difficult to project. But that's again, that's one of those extreme situations where we might actually need to consider other plays. But otherwise, it's just like there's no direct correlation between temperature and like fantasy football. Yeah, and you can use that also inversely, and from DFS angle, you know, you can play on that fear as well, you know, right. with, with yeah. people. Uh, nice. So yeah, you know, I, I love that. So we're gonna get into the weeds here on this kind of unique week seven that has presented us this season. But first, I always like to ask every guest uh, to kind of share what what's one player you're still you know not letting go of this year. Whether it could be a guy that you just believe in down the road. You believe that there's gonna be an opportunity, or you just you know uh, you know want to hold him because he's the opportunity you can run into. But a player you're holding on as many rosters as you can as possible, if he happens to be out there in waivers, or just someone that you know you are fully invested in this season. I'm being I'm being obstinate on Miles Sanders. Uh, I mean, he's he's had a rough start to the season, and I can totally understand. I mean, what they had the, the what Tampa like what just mm-hmm. a, what just this past week. Um, and what with the, like the sputtering starts like from like Jalen hurts and looks like his tug of war with Nick Sirianni in terms of how they're going to like call plays like for the, over the past like few weeks, it's difficult to project like how that entire offense is going to go. I mean, if you're relying on Devonta Smith, like who like a great rookie and I think a great prospect, like in his own right, but it's just like the, the players around him, what is like Quez Watkins, Jalen Rager, who like, we're like still like, you know, kind of like, you know, waving our hands at and, like, you know, shrugging our shoulders with, it's just, what do, what do we, can we really expect from the offense? Now, Zach Ertz is like, it's down in Arizona, but I just, I, I'm not sure, I'm not completely out on Miles Sanders. And I think over the past like few weeks, we've actually started to see his snaps like go up. His target share has gone up over the past like few weeks as well. Kenny Gainwell, like he's not, not phased out, but he's seen just like lesser work in that offense. And to be quite honest, I think like some of his, like his quote unquote takeover of the backfield was somewhat overblown because I think oh, yeah. like almost like a quarter of his touches were in like either the fourth quarter while the team was trailing by like uh, at least a score or more. 
So I think like with their upcoming schedule, what the, who do they got this week? Um, I forget. Like who do they, who's the Raiders? Week, like, the Raiders. Yeah, they got the Raiders. I think Detroit like in a couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So and the Chargers like uh, in a few weeks, if I'm remembering correctly. So they, like their their schedule seems to open up. The workload has also been there for Miles Sanders. So for uh, I think he presents at least a decent buy low. Uh, for like a lot of folks that have just been completely, they are completely out on him after five weeks of essentially nothing. He's a, he like, he's even, I don't think he's found the paint once this season, even as a rusher or a receiver. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, uh, there's enough uh, on the peripheral side of things for me to at least think that he will be their RB one, at least for the Eagles. And the production might also be there like for him moving forward. I, I love that. I actually love Miles Sanders this weekend for DFS. We'll see if it pays off. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the bottom has fallen out. We talked about, I talked to Jacob Sanderson a couple weeks ago. We talked about Kenneth Gainwell being a guy that you immediately add on in like two for one trades. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the guy, like when all the steam was coming, like immediately go out and use him as spice. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you see Miles Sanders last week, he, he had 84% of the backfield touches tweaked to 92% uh, on Thursday night last week. Uh, and he's, he's been efficient with his touches. He was efficient in the Tampa Bay game. I mean, they, you know, on his carries, the most efficient runner we've seen so far against Tampa Bay, at least in context of guys running on Tampa Bay. Uh, and then you said the schedule does open up a little bit. I do have questions though about Nick Sirianni and his just overall yeah. approach right yeah. now. Uh, I've railed on that a couple of times with my buddy, Dan Pizzuto on our, we do like a show where we do game previews and stuff every week. And we've really been on Nick Sirianni the past couple of weeks. Uh, but I do love that Miles Sanders talks, you know, no one's really thinking about him right now he's kind of an afterthought in the season and this is I think a good week especially with the you know kind of the bye weeks and the injuries and stuff uh, you know kind of get him on your mind maybe grab him early like you said so I love that call and that's kind of what we're gonna you know talk about it we're, we're recording this way earlier in the week than we've done uh just the timing that worked out for us we usually do like a starts and sneaksters segment uh with a guest where we talk about you know kind of some of the the lower end plays that are outside of like fantasy industry rankings that we'll play but this week I think we're just gonna go into the into the weeds again. I keep bringing up that phrase. So just because that's where we are this week. I mean, we've had, mm-hmm. we had a couple more, you know, running back injuries last week. You know, we don't know if Antonio Gibson's going to play Alex Collins, who was already a reserve running back left the game in overtime in the Steelers game. Uh, and then we've got just kind of this buy apocalypse. It's one of only two weeks this season where there are six teams on buy and this week, seven particularly appears to be kind of, you know, all of the really good offenses, uh, the way it's kind of worked out. I mean, you just look at this fantasy landscape. We've got four, top 10 scoring quarterbacks on by this week and Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, and Kirk Cousins. We have uh, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Ezekiel Elliott, and James Robinson were all the top eight of running backs. It already depleted thin position for a lot of fantasy rosters. We got Justin Jefferson, Big Mike Williams, CeeDee Lamb, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs on by wide receiver, Dalton Schultz, and Dawson Knox, who probably would have been out anyways this week mm-hmm. given his injury, uh, but have been some nice hits for people uh, at a very thin tight end position. All these teams are on by uh, to go with the injuries rosters may have already suffered. So we're going to see some unique lineups out on, on these fantasy streets this week. So we're just going to kind of go through and kind of talk about some of our favorite, you know, plays that whether we pick these guys up off of waivers, we won't get too deep into like waiver, waiver wire talk because it's coming out way past when people have already made their waiver selections, but you know, some guys either maybe you can pick up at the quarterback position and then just guys you've had on your bench that we like that you may say, this is the week to get these guys into lineups. Um, but before we talk about specific players, let me pick your brain just a little bit on like a mm-hmm. week like this. First, let's talk about just bye week stacking. So, you know, are you someone that 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 one? Do you even look at bye weeks when you draft? No, not not at yeah. all. I mean, from a uh, even like when we're in a, I know I don't know if I'll get in trouble about, uh, for this, but talking about like best ball, like you know during the season. But even in best ball, like I know that I knew going into the season that you know. We saw week seven coming and it was like Buffalo, Dallas, mm-hmm. like really all the good teams that you just mentioned, but that wasn't going to stop me from trying to stack like Josh Allen or let me right. get like, you know, the, those Dak Prescott stacks or any, anything like that. That wasn't going to stop me from doing any of that. So no, not, not particularly. I mean, of course it's something that you want to try and mitigate as much as possible, but now if I can get as many good players on good teams, I mean, that's really how we should be building rosters anyway, to be quite honest. Right. And I'm with you. That's exactly what I say. As long as there's no, you know, interference, I want to draft the best players I believe are there for that pick. I also don't mind stacking buys. Like if you're really thin this week, if you've got a lot of guys, guess what? You're going to be the rest of the season full strength. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be full strength. And it's just one week. Uh, so like, so let's say someone has all these guys. Say, say I've stacked a bunch of bills and uh, cowboys and chargers and, you know, uh, I've got three running backs and two receivers on by, 
and you know Deionis, Deionis Johnson is out there and I don't have a running back to play are you willing are you someone to say all right it's only week seven are you willing to take a zero in a spot uh to, to not go crazy yeah because really what are you sacrificing in order to pick up there because it's if it's just that one week and for the most part if you wound up stacking specifically this week you're likely in a decent spot unless you've just been completely crushed by just like awful matchups or something like that. Or maybe you've been like burnt by a couple of injuries like here and there that have tanked like your schedule, like your starting record, like to start off the year. But other than that, like, yes, because like you just mentioned, this is the week that you knew was coming. You know that you're going to be at full strength for the rest of the season. So if you have to hold that L for this week, that's fine. But at least you know you're getting all of your top players back and you won't have to worry about it for the rest of the season versus for most folks like who wind up trying to, draft with bye weeks in mind they're going to be trying to step through this minefield throughout the rest of the fantasy season so at least from that perspective you do have some leverage on the rest of the field whereas you know if you wind up picking up a Dearness johnson you wind up starting him it's a poor game environment don't get me wrong but if you wind up starting him this week he gets you a few points okay fine then at the very least you can wind up packaging him in a trade because as of right now with what cream hunts on by uh cream hunts on ir we don't know what the status of Nick Chubb is going to be moving forward. So at the very least, like his, his value to other teams is still going to be fairly decent. So you can wind up moving him in a trade, get something back that you might need. And then from there, you already know that your team is strong. So I think that's at least a decent move for you. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I told everyone, yeah, don't be, don't be scared. It's just one week. Uh, yeah. And I understand, you know, and you can always play it by ear too. If you're, you know, if your waivers go up to certain kickoffs, you know, if you can pick up a guy at 4 PM kicks, and, you know, even on Monday night and you've got some leeway, you can play that to your advantage as well. I like that. So let's kind of just talk about some of the plays that we will just run down this kind of week seven slate. You actually put out a quarterback streaming article every week at Forum mm-hmm. for Football. So this is in your wheelhouse still a little bit. And, you know, we talked about some of the quarterbacks that are on by, but I still, when I went through and I wrote up all the games, this still feels like a really strong quarterback week in fantasy football. Uh, and there are a lot of options on the board here. Um, so let's just talk about a couple quarterback plays. I mean, who's kind of on your radar here of guys that could be picked up, uh, or, you know, are probably even going to make it through this first round of waivers or guys that you think are just going to be really good, you know, guys to start this week. Uh, what my top streamer, and I think this is pretty much the case throughout most of the industry is, uh, is Tua against the Falcons for this week. Although it's still kind of odd to me. And I've heard that I've seen the question asked a couple of times, uh, like in social media, but isn't it like kind of wild that they play in the London game? They don't have a bye week this week. I just thought that was kind of like, it was interesting. I'm guessing yeah, you get the choice. So the yeah. NFL provides you with the choice and it's happened a couple of times where teams decline it because they just want to wait later in the season. Uh, but it, you know, the NFL should just have two bye weeks for every team. It'd be a lot. Yeah. Especially yeah. <laughs> now if they're going to extend the, extend the regular season by a week, it just never made sense to me that they wouldn't have like, you know, an extra bye week. Cause they well. play the London games early in the season. Is it because of what I, I mean, I might be wrong. I don't know, but is it because of weather over there? They don't want to run into It's entirely week. possible. Yeah. Because so I they think do they, them early in the season and then you're like, all right, well, I have to take my bye in week five and now we have a new 18 week season. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I get it from that perspective, but it, yeah, I just didn't think it was kind of odd that the players have to you know they have to take yet another like international trip like back home and then also prepare but i do think that for the dolphins specifically i mean if you have to prepare against uh, prepare for atlanta secondary okay fine i mean there there are worse things to have to prepare for i think from a box score perspective i don't think that like atlanta might come off as one of the stronger defenses to play against they haven't they're yet to allow like a 300 yard passer but they're still bottom 10 in terms of epa per play allowed like to uh, to fantasy quarterbacks they're also bottom 20 12 in terms of like adjusted fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position and Tua looks strong, man, like coming off the injured reserve. I mean, what the first like two drives that they had, like Miami had against Jacksonville. Now, of course it's Jacksonville. So that's, you know, a sliding scale, like in terms of evaluating quarterback play. But I mean, the first two drives, what 70, 70 plus yards, like a 90 yard, like a drive to start off the start off the game against Jacksonville. I mean, Tua was top five, top six in terms of time to throws, like getting those quick passes out to Jalen Waddle, also incorporating Mike Gesicki and what Durham Smythe also getting involved in the passing game as well so with so without Devonte parker i mean without like will fuller i uh, too was still able to put together i mean string together like multiple drives it really was just i mean their own like play calling what's like smashing like malcolm brown into the into the line like a few times on like third down which really like kind of torpedo that entire offense but still seeing him be uh, be able to like uh, get uh, waddle into the paint a couple of times keep those uh drives like extended i think like he's one of the better streaming options for this week i mean he was even like also uh, pretty decent on scrambling as well so at least the mobility is there so I think like against 
Uh, Atlanta, who's also like above the league average in terms of offensive pace. I think this could be like one of those games that what, what's the term like sneaky shootout potential, even though it's really not all that sneaky considering we only have what, like a 12 game slate this week anyway. But I still think that that's one of the games that we should kind of like, you know, glom onto from a fantasy perspective, whether it's DFS, whether it's season long, I think two is one of the better plays for this week. Yeah, I like that. I I like it because Miami is basically all but said, like, we can't run the football right now. I mean, they, you know, after week one, they've dropped back the pass 53, 57, 35, 44, and 51 times uh, the past five games. Uh, And like you said, too, gets you a little bit of sneaky rushing ability. He doesn't give you like a ton. He's not like a full Konami guy, but he'll give you two or three rushing points a game, uh, which which add up over the time. Uh, Let me just pick your brain on one thing with the Miami Dolphins. He also might get Devontae Parker back in this game, too, which is hopefully which helps uh let me pick your brain on the the same dolphins what are you doing with miles gaskin if you have him right now uh for the most part i would rather leave him on my bench but i can understand folks that are probably stuck in this like bi-week apocalypse that they're probably forced into starting him because we can't even really get a consistent roll out of him what it was two weeks ago that he winds up showing out to be the guy and everyone's like okay fine you know gaskin's rb1 but then after this week we're seeing Salvin Ahmed like still being involved. Like Malcolm Brown was being used on third downs. Like he didn't even wind up. I, I what I thought he was like second in terms of route routes run, like from a running back perspective. So it's like, what what is this team doing? And especially with that offensive line, uh, still like what back end of the league in terms of adjusted sack rate. Their offense, their uh, rushing efficiency is also like b- uh, below the league average as well. It's just if we can't expect consistent production out of any of the running backs, and like not like not like neither of the three are can consistently create on their own it's difficult to project from a week-to-week basis but if you're going up against Atlanta I guess there's there there is that possibility for either one of them to wind up having or at least for Miles Gaskin to be able to sneak into the paint what was it the two short touchdowns that he wound up having when they played against was it like Tampa like a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago or whenever that was but either way I think that's the like he'd be the one that I'd bet on over any of the other two yeah and, and I mean in that in that same game I mean the other side too I mean Matt Ryan is now fifth in the NFL in dropbacks per game. And he's had four games now with at least 280 or more passing yards. And he's thrown multiple touchdowns in his past four games too. You know, keep, uh, an, you know, an earmark on the injury report to see, you know, is David Howard going to play? Is Byron Jones going to play? Mm-hmm. You know, Calvin Ridley's coming back. Like Matt Ryan in that same game too. Like you said, this game might just be like on the early slate, like one of those, you know, like you said, like one of those games that we should kind of look at because, now this team, both teams are kind of filled with guys that have underachieved for fantasy so far this season. Right. So, I mean, to a degree. I mean, we had the Kyle Pitts breakout game in London, but Mike Davis, uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, Miles Gaskin, uh, you know, the, the Jalen Waddles of the world. Like none of these guys have been are on your, your fantasy leaderboards, I should say. So like, right. they, they don't, it's not going to be a game like complete, completely circled. But with the, the games the Dolphins have played and the games the Falcons have played and the amount of dropbacks both teams have played, there is potential here for this game to be one of those games that goes over that 47 and a half point total that it sits at right now in Miami uh, of all places too, as well. Like you said, with them coming back on the almost, we want to call it short week, but you know, mm-hmm. them coming back from London. Let me ask you about one guy that, you know, has really disappointed to start this season, but is in another potential shootout game. And uh, it's Ryan Tannehill. Uh, you know, what are we going to do with Ryan Tannehill? Is this a spot where he can get right uh, this week uh, in the, in the, against the Chiefs? Well, we thought the same thing for Taylor Heineke like this past week, but then Taylor Heineke it, it, like completely imploded against them. I mean, what was he like back into the league? I think he was like 27th or 28th in terms of completion percentage over expected. But I mean, I guess that's what we can expect out of a fourth, fifth round like dude that was drafted like a few years ago. But I don't expect the the same accuracy problems like for Ryan Tannehill because he's generally been an accurate quarterback Uh, it's just that I think most of the adjustments to this Todd Downing system like with Arthur Smith like leaving like has been I guess something left to be desired like between their their struggles between Ryan Tannehill and Todd Downing but then also missing AJ Brown for a couple of games was like the what he got food poisoning from Chipotle uh, like, but prior to their Sunday night game and what, and Julio Jones, Chipotle. yeah, no, that's a, that's tough scenes like for <laughs> Chipotle. Uh, but then Julio Jones, like, but missing like multiple games, like so far, and then what he got shut down, like towards the back end of that, uh, their game against the, against the bills. Uh, but I, the one thing, and, uh, I was actually taking a look at this last night. Uh, the one thing that we're starting to see a bit more of is the, the use of play action for, for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he's been deadly. I mean, having a, a guy like Derek Henry, forcing linebackers to move forward, but then also having 
an accurate quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. That's, that's honestly one of the deadliest combinations. Like if you want to try and run play action, and that's really been the thing that's worked for Arthur Smith and Ryan Tannehill over the past, like past few years, he was second, I believe second or third in EPA per play over the past like few seasons, like with Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator. And that's really what's like propelled Ryan Tannehill, like into the forefront of like, of fantasy, uh, of fantasy scoring because like he was just behind like Patrick Mahomes in terms of EPA per play, like over that same time frame. but it's just, we haven't seen the same, uh, the same fantasy production because they've been towards the back end of the league in terms of neutral passing rate. And while they're still at the back end of the league in terms of neutral passing rate to start this season, we haven't seen that same production because they've been towards the back end of the league as, as well in terms of play action. They started off the year, I think, what was it like just 10% of their plays, like we're, we're seeing there at play action. And then that's uh, that tanked like uh, Ryan Tannehill's efficiency. And when that started to spike over the past like few weeks, his efficiency has improved, but the production hasn't been there. Now, of course, like A.J. Brown being out, Julio Jones being out. I mean, if you're expecting what uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine, and uh, who is it? Uh, Chester Rogers, I think, or yeah, maybe Josh you know, Reynolds, Josh Reynolds <laughs> and, you know, those guys to really like bring you into like, uh, you know, quarterback one, uh, you know, the quarterback one ranks. And you're probably you know, barking up the wrong tree. But now with at least A.J. Brown back, I would expect to see like some more production uh, from Ryan Tannehill. So I think this is the week to at least get him back in uh, on the fringe of the top 12. He gets Julio Jones back as well. All right, now we're cooking with gas. So I think like he's a guy that I might like try and, uh, you know, oscillate back towards like from a DFS perspective, because probably nobody's going to play him, especially after watching Taylor Heineke last week, especially after not seeing much from over the past, like, you know, five, six weeks. I think he's, he's good. He's in decent spot. I would say, especially moving forward as well. Yeah. Tannehill. I mean, he definitely hasn't played well and you brought up some of the, the weaponry, the limited weaponry he's had to start this season and, and some of the, 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 the rifts that they've had losing Arthur Smith. And this is a team that's been due kind of regression for a couple of years. Anyways, they, they were living that high wire act. Uh, but, you know, Tannehill just has a 3% touchdown rate. You know, this was after, what, 6.9% the year before, 7.7%. The interesting thing about the Titans is they've still been a good offense. They're ninth in the NFL in offensive touchdowns. Uh, they've had, they have 18 offensive touchdowns. But the thing is, 12 of them are rushing. That, that ties mm-hmm. into that, that touchdown rate. He just has a 3% touchdown rate. The league average, I brought this up last week with the Browns, league average is 62% uh, passing touchdown rate. It still is that way through, uh, you know, week six. Uh, and even in the Titans being a historically run heavy team and having a, a unicorn like Derrick Henry, their passing touchdown rates the previous two seasons were 49.5% and 53.1%. Right now it is 33% passing touchdowns. Like there's going to be some oscillation back to where some of these, if, if they're scoring this many touchdowns, they're going to have some passing touchdowns. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and right now Ryan Tannehill is 3.1 passing touchdowns below expectation, which is the fifth largest differential in the league so it's something to kind of just kind of earmark I wish that like you know Julio was for sure going to be healthy in this game mm-hmm. and we know that because we still want some more weapons there that, that matters but yeah he's something someone I'm, I'm I'm interested in this week too as well to see kind of how projected you know roster ship goes and DFS angles and if there's a unique way to stack that game so I think when we look at Terrell Heineke uh, and Taylor Heineke had the lowest uh, average uh, air yards per completion in week six I just think yeah. the bloom the bloom is off the rose uh, for Taylor Heineke, he was kind of towing the line for us for a couple weeks, anyways, and how he was getting there for fantasy. Uh, uh-huh. and, I, and I think that we're going to see Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, have no trouble uh, being the starter whenever he's available to come back. One other starting quarterback that is kind of he was on bye last week, so he's kind of an afterthought. And I, I mean, this is this is one of the weirder seasons that I have seen a player start with. And this is and, and talking about this player specifically, that's that's saying something. But uh, is Jameis Winston? Uh, oh yeah. So, so Jameis Winston, he's had two top five scoring weeks in the season, and then he's been the QB twenty three or lower in all the other weeks. And you know, the, the Sean Payton has essentially tried to hide him in every game but one as a passer. But he's actually also been you know hyper efficient. He's been great in the red zone. He's thirteen of fifteen passing in the red zone with nine touchdown passes. Um, and then he's you know the, this quarterback that also he's been terrible under pressure so far this, this season. Uh, but he also leads the NFL with eight passing touchdowns under pressure, <laughs> which and he's on a buy. It's, like, it's one of the most weird, even for Jameis Winston, he's having a really weird season. Is Jameis Winston someone that if you if you missed out on to uh, someone grabs him ahead of you or even Matt Ryan, would you entertain playing Jameis Winston on Monday night? Yeah, he's actually my, my other top streaming option just because at least he presents a ceiling, right? Because mm-hmm. what was it even against uh, was it, when, they, they play, when did they play the Patriots? Was that uh, was that like week, week three? three? 
Yeah. So even what, when, uh, was it like Kyle Duggar, like hanging off his back, he flings into the background, uh, <laughs> yeah. into the end zone. And like Marcus Calloway comes down with a touchdown. So we can always have like those classic Jameis moments that wind up like, you know, like putting him into like QB one, uh, territory from a, from a fantasy, per, uh, fantasy production perspective, but the pass rate over expectation, they're still sitting at like 31st or 32nd, like in the league in terms of pass rate over expectation. So the volume just like hasn't been there because I do think that Sean Payton is trying to hide like part of the issues with their passing game. It might not be an issue with Jameis Winston specifically, but really that like without Michael Thomas, I mean, who are we really relying on like on that team in order to like get the, the move the ball down the field? It hasn't typically been like, it hasn't been Adam Troutman, like we expected to be like one, you know, one of Dayton's finest, uh, but uh, Deontay Harris, Marcus Calloway, I think they're expecting Traquan Smith back for this game. I thought he's uh, at least who was designated to return to uh, from IR uh, yesterday. So yep. we'll see at least some help, but I think it's really just about like the, the defense that they're playing against. I mean, Seattle uh, 22nd in EPA per dropback allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, they've allowed uh, four different, I mean, four uh, 300 yard games, like from opposing quarterbacks. Now I'm cheating a little bit uh, because the San Francisco quarterback combined for, uh, for 322 uh, passing yards against them since uh, Garoppolo and, and Lance split time during that game. But for the last five, like they've allowed like 300 yard passing, like Ben Roethlisberger is probably essentially the only one to have like the least amount of passing yards, but of course it's Ben Roethlisberger. So we really don't care. So I think that's at least, even though they're traveling across the country, but they're coming off a bye in order to play Seattle. I think it's a decent spot to at least uh, if you missed out on all the other quarterbacks, you missed out on Tua, any of the other guys that would typically be on the waiver wire. Jameis at least presents a ceiling in that particular game. Nice. I like that. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, definitely the, the forecasters, just the timing of losing Russell Wilson to have three straight primetime games for Seattle. Right, uh, yeah. You know, that, that leave it to us. I mean, Gino, Gino was pretty rough. He did what he could uh, on Sunday, but he had the lowest yeah. uh, average depth of target in the NFL. Uh, they really used the Ben Roethlisberger sort of plan, just get out of his hands quick and hope for the best. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, that, that one's going to be interesting. Hopefully we don't get uh, a game where it's just a lot of turtling because those teams are 32nd and 31st in place per drive. So hopefully mm-hmm. uh, we get some excitement there. But it, you that know, game hey, total was at like 42 or something like that. Like last I checked, I thought the, uh, yeah, the it was 43 it was and a half was the last yeah. I see it as. So, I mean, it's, it's low and it's in Seattle. So you never know. It, you never could be, end up being cold there if you were to Yeah. Uh, but uh but yeah, so I think it is a fun streaming week, though. There are options, you know, if you lost some of those those high hitters. And I know some teams, you know, in your in your 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 leagues, you probably already had better backups for no reason behind Josh Allen. I get those questions all the time. I mean, if, yeah. you know, but you know, if you had to pick up one of those guys, your only roster and one quarterback. I mean, those are hopefully some options that you know you can grab and kind of get you through this week, or even make some DFS plays uh, this week. Now, running back, there's going to be. Oh, like we were already starting bad running backs in the leagues. So I've oh, got a yeah. bunch of teams. So especially with this week, you said we're moving, we're removing, you know, four guys that are that de- were in the top eight already. Uh, and some other players we're, we're still playing. So I'll pick your brand and a couple of guys that, you know, uh, you already, I had Miles Sanders on my list to bring up and you already covered it. So uh, we'll pick out a couple other guys here to kind of talk about uh, Mike Davis this week. Is it, is it a Mike Davis week? Now I, I know that Leone is probably out there, like you know, just pounding the table for for Mike Davis at this point. Like I know him and Nate Lowling. I mean, those are like those are the Mike Davis guys. And from a DFS perspective, I'm assuming like what's his price this week in DFS? I'm guessing what like five K or something. He's like fifty two hundred on DraftKings. Oh man, like I can already see a number of lineups like with Mike Davis around. Like from the opportunity standpoint, I don't see like we why he shouldn't be considered. From a season long perspective, I mean, if he's still garnering like the majority amount of the snaps, like from a running back perspective, Miami's defense, like they've been at least fairly decent against, uh, against running backs, but it's still like, if we're talking about like a game, that's going to be up in pace, up in scoring as well. I don't see like why, at least considering Mike Davis, but so many other running backs out for the week, it's not bad process in my opinion. Nice. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, heading into heading into the buy, he had dropped in percent of backfield touches, you know, 45% and 40%. So it's interesting to see how he comes out of that. But yeah, you talk about this, this game against the Dolphins it represents a chance for me to get back on the board to be an RB2 in yeah. our hearts. Uh, I, I will say I meant to bring up that if we're picking up quarterbacks, the one guy I do that I think that I think is a trap this week is, uh, is Derek Carr. Uh, I wanted to bring that up to a lot of people because, you know, there was a lot of positives. So they, they ran play action 31% of the time last week, which was, uh, more 20% more than they had the previous five weeks with Greg Olson calling plays and Derek Carr mentioned mm-hmm. that Greg Olson calling plays got there was a more of a rhythm he got the plays in quicker but also the 
the way Derek Carr has lived so far for fantasy football in real football, obviously, he's just lived on downfield passing so far. He has the most completions of 20 or more yards in the NFL. He's sixth in the NFL in average depth of target. And he's number one among all fantasy quarterbacks and fantasy points generated on throws over 15 yards downfield. But he's also facing an Eagles team that is just the way they're constructed under Jonathan Gannon's defense is to not give up big plays. They're second mm-hmm. in 20 yard pass plays allowed. Uh, they are second in the NFL in average depth of target against them. And just two we- just this past week, they were in the same spot against Tom Brady, uh, who was, who was leading the NFL in 20 yard completions coming into last week in a high dot quarterback had an average depth of target as 5.6 yards against the Eagles. It was only ahead of Geno Smith last week. And the last time Derek Carr faced the defense predicated on stopping the deep ball was Monday night against the Chargers, and he had a season low 5.8 yards per pass attempt. So I do think Carr is a little bit of the trap if you're chasing the points at quarterback position. He'd yeah, top ten, uh, top ten in pressure rate as well, if I'm remembering correctly. And we saw them when they uh, similar construction from an offensive standpoint when they went up against Sam Darnold because like once they were able to get the pressure on Sam Darnold, it was what 47, 48 percent of Sam Darnold's dropbacks in that particular game. If you're only forcing most of your downfield throws to one guy, and for Sam Darnold, he's had eyes for DJ Moore. Like we saw a similar, uh, we saw a similar result. So if Derek Carr is focused on getting uh, Henry Ruggs going, then yeah, I can I can completely see like how that winds up being a trap play. Like now, hopefully, some of those targets oscillate back towards like Darren, like you know Darren Waller, and especially for a couple mm-hmm. of my uh, fantasy teams, I'm hoping that's going to be the case. <laughs> but if they're going to try and continue to push the ball downfield now in this like post John Gruden era then yeah, I think that's going to wind up being a problem for Carr. So yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's move on to, let's let's talk about a couple of plays in this game. We can talk about some of these positions. So a lot of people are, are obviously very th- thrilled with what they got out of Khalil Herbert last week. And mm-hmm. you know, Khalil Herbert was a big juice guy as prospect. I mean, he transferred from Kansas. He went to Virginia Tech. And in 2020, he led all collegiate players, not just in the draft class, but all players that had 100 or more touches in yards per touch. And we saw some of that last week, even a touchdown come off the board. Uh, hopefully that didn't hurt too many people last week. But now he's facing Tampa Bay. So you're excited that you've got this, maybe this, this entity that you can ride for a couple of weeks, but now he's facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Are we just holding our nose and going to the well uh, with Khalil Herbert? Uh, or is this a spot where we kind of, you know, you want to proceed with caution. Maybe Damian Williams comes off of COVID. He still does have to test negative twice uh, in a 24 hour span to come off of the COVID list. Cause he was vaccinated. Uh, but you know, are we just riding this thing out and just taking it? Yeah, I would just ride it out and take it. Now, the matchup is obviously terrible. I think uh, I was talking with Sam Hoppin about this a couple of weeks ago about just like the password over expectation for any of the teams that have faced uh, the, the Tampa Bay so far. And I think like the minimum uh, password over expectation against Tampa so far has been like plus like 5%, which is uh, skyrocketed for a couple of other teams. It's been up to like 15 to 20% if I'm remembering correctly, but it's just like teams just don't want to run against uh, like any of their guys. I mean, I, I wouldn't either. I mean, if you've got like JPP, like Vita Bay, like so many of other, like just the, really tough defenders like staring you down like from a defensive front perspective yeah i'd try and like you know lean on the passing game as well but the question is like will matt Nagy and bill laser do that like will they lean on justin fields in order to get the ball to Allen robinson darnell mooney let's see if like even cole Komet can start to get involved as well but either way like from herbert's perspective yes i mean the opportunity has, has obviously been there but also from a like outside of just a statistical perspective like herbert looks like he could be the guy like at the very least like if damian williams like winds up coming back i would i would at least expect herbert to be the 1a to damian williams like 1b because like from a uh, from a scheme perspective like the zone blocking scheme that the bears wind up using it fits what Herbert is good at, like while Damian Williams has looked fine, I think like the Chiefs like wound up using a gap scheme throughout uh, throughout most of their time in Kansas City. Like uh, Damian Williams has still like looked fine, but like Herbert with that one cut like burst that he was able to do uh, last week against the Packers. I think uh, I heard on a couple different podcasts. I think it was like maybe Chris Harris's podcast when he was talking to Matt Waldman. Uh, the the comparison or the comp that they provided to Khalil Herbert was Aaron Jones, like just with that ability for him to take that one cut burst forward like through the line. Uh, and we saw that on a couple of runs that he had against Green Bay. I think it's there, but it's just, again, against Tampa Bay, we can't expect a ton. But if we can at least see some more offensive production from Justin Fields, we start to see them moving the ball down the field a bit easier like through the passing game. Yeah, I think Khalil Herbert can be the uh, beneficiary of that. He's also involved in the passing game as well. So, yeah, wh- why not? I think we try and ride this out with so many other injuries or like uh, teams being affected by bye weeks. It's not the worst option. We didn't bring him up because I don't think he's really uh, on the board for like a, a season long like QB streamer. But 
if they do run more passing plays against Justin Fields, like, is this the, the flop lag week for him in DFS? He's so cheap. I mean, we saw last week they had to drop back a little bit more, and it was his best game when air quotes for fantasy. He only had 13 mm-hmm. fantasy points. But, you know, they threw 54% of the time. But we've got, because of dropbacks, he scrambled five times for 43 yards last week. Is, it, is, it, is this a chance? Is it a chance to maybe maybe sneak him in in DFS? Yeah, I think this is this is the test, right? <laughs> this is the test for uh, what Sig Bloom's uh, phrase, like the the you know, rational coaching. I mean, this is the test to yeah. see if like Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor can be like ra- you know rational coaches, like when they're approaching this. Like literally every other team has done. Spoiler this. alert! Right. I mean, I mean, even I mean, because since we're talking about like the play calling for Nick Sirianni and and Jalen Hurts, but even they started to figure out it's like okay, we can't run on these guys, so we're going to need to pass a little bit more. So like it the if the assumption is that they're going to lean on uh, Chicago's passing game. I and mean, then, yeah, I think Justin Fields like, can wind up being at least a sneaky play like in DFS. Like I'm not probably not going to sneak him in like three max teams, but if you're looking at large field, millimaker type stuff, then yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. And Robinson, I mean, from a peripheral standpoint, like seeing his air yard share, like creep back up to about like 49%, like last week, I think that was some like somewhat telling and like, makes me hopeful for uh, for myself again you know, because I have a Rob on a couple of teams while also managing a, like a 29% target share as well. So I think that you know, with Allen Robinson at least looking like he could be the wide receiver one on that team, Darnell Mooney already coming on and like being a star like within uh, the Bears passing game. I think that at least it's possible like for Justin Fields to wind up being usable like from a DFS perspective uh, this weekend. Yeah. So are you trusting any of those Bears wide receivers in your lineups this week? Are you are you those teams that you have on Robinson? Are you just holding it, holding on and putting him in? Yeah, I'm I'm holding I'm holding Robinson. I mean, he's been like like so QB proof over the years. What is it from Blake Bortles to Mitchell Trubisky and like now to Justin Fields? Like I want to hope the that the talent is, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping that it's still there. And actually, with his peripherals from last week, I'm I'm hopeful that that sustains, especially against this week. This is the true twi- true test. Right. Because if it just goes back to like how it's been from weeks like one through four, then it's like, all right, fine. There's nothing there. And, you know, let's either try like, you know, sell low or just completely drop them out. Right. And it's just the Darnell Mooney show like moving forward. But if they if this if this sticks from last week, then I think there's enough there for us to be hopeful for the rest of the season. Yeah. Another player, just because they're passing by him, that's been so low. That's an afterthought. And I don't know if you'll need him this week, but you know, there are a couple of guys from by we talked about uh, Cole Komet has had 20% of the team targets the past two weeks. And you know, the way the bucks have kind of been playing defense, they're still blitz heavy. Uh, they have been giving up a decent amount of production to opposing tight ends. I know that that's not sexy name at all to talk about on any podcast Cole Komet, but uh, maybe, maybe if there's a week uh, it's this one, Uh <laughs> One of the one of the running backs, obviously, that came out last week and, you know, saved a lot of people uh, and was a, a nice hit in DFS was Daryl Williams. And I've seen a lot of people talk about, you know, the amount of the snaps and stuff and saying, well, this this is more usage than Clyde Edwards Lair ever got in a game. And it's like, yeah, because there was one less running back available. But yep. yeah, but but, but uh, talk, talk to people about Daryl Williams. You know, the efficiency wasn't there, but attach this offense like we've got to feel really good about him being an RB2 moving forward. Right. Yeah, yeah. Unless there's depending on how long Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be out and how that team winds up looking at like their playoff chances, which I mean, after the charters imploded last week, it's entirely possible. Uh, but what the the rumors have already been swirling about them potentially making a trade for Marlon Mack since the Colts have been like showcasing him for the past few weeks, which is completely torpedoed Naheem's, uh, Naheem Hines like value over the past few weeks as well. But um, Daryl Williams, like, while yes, I will completely concede because I, I, I will be the uh, I'll be the one like Clyde Edwards Hilaire truther that's probably still out there, like in the in the fantasy uh, fantasy universe. Uh, but Clyde Edwards Hilaire looked great, but 23.9 like uh, PPR points this past week, but 12 of them came on those two short touchdowns, like just from three yards out. Uh, for what three yards and two yards, if I'm remembering correctly. And like, while it's great to see him get the opportunity. Where uh, and also folks will also compare like his opportunity with it uh, on the goal line to Clyde's lair like opportunity as well. It's just that we can't expect that on a week to week basis. I mean, there's it's entirely possible for us to be left holding the bag with like 60 yards, uh, you know, 60 scrimmage yards like the very next week. He's yet to top, uh, I think, like 75 or no, like 80 or no, no, take that back, 90 scrimmage yards in total, like in games where Clyde Edwards lair has missed. And without a touchdown, are we really going to be, you know, but thankful that we wind up having that. So we might take like the ups and downs with having just like one running back, like in the Kansas city chiefs offense, like at least one primary running back with Jerry McKinnon sprinkled in as well. So I don't hate the call. It's just that against um, what against Tennessee this weekend, I mean, 
we were, I mean, like Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, like against both of them, like it wasn't all that great from a production standpoint. Now it's split against, uh, it was split between two backs, like absolutely. But like uh, with them being like so heavy up front, their secondary being poor, it could just be another Patrick Mahomes, like four touchdown week with yep. a couple of bloopers in there as well, like from a, either interceptions <laughs> or fumbles that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mahomes, you got to concede it down, buddy. Like, it's okay. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Take take the layup, man. Just take, <laughs> you don't have to do these like, you know, crazy trick passes every week, man. Just take the layup. Yeah. The one last week where he picked up the fumble and just shot put it. You got you to gotta yeah, give like, up on one. You got to give up yeah. on one. Uh, yeah. R- Ravens backs, you giving up? Or are you touching any of them? Now, Devonta Freeman, man, I he, I don't know. I, I wrote not, it too, man. Listen, I wrote it too. He looked the best, didn't he? I, yeah, he he looked good. It looked like he turned back the clock. I mean, from a routes run perspective, I mean, that they were there. He was actually being used in the passing game when they were in the comeback mode against Indianapolis. And so that was that was the sign that really turned me on to the fact that there might be some usage for him moving forward. Now, with Latavius dinged up, I mean, they've been what they've been activating and deactivating like Tyson Williams over the past like few weeks as well. Like Freeman's really been like the only guy uh, that they've been at least wanting to sprinkle in like over the last few weeks. So like, while I'm not expecting that for the rest of the season, especially at this point uh, in Freeman's career, like from a spot start perspective, especially going up against Cincinnati this weekend. I mean, I mean, why not? Like with all the other players on by the players on injury, I would actually feel better about him than any of the Cleveland backs, to be quite honest. Nice. Yeah. I mean, he looks the, the spryest of the the fountain of youth guys that they have on that roster. It is weird seeing Le'Veon at the number 17. As far as all the number changes that have been, the, the, the 17 <laughs> running back has been the one that is like, well, I don't know if that one really works for me, but uh, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a couple other guys too out on the board. I mean, if there was ever a spot for James Connors role to smash, this would be at a 17 point home favorites. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you know, this would be a spot for him. Uh, do you have any other running backs that you kind of want to touch on that you know, you've earmarked or, uh, you know, any anyone that you're looking out of these streets to to bring? No, up? I think that's I think that's it. I mean, there are a couple <laughs> of guys that might be floating out on waiver wires. Like if folks have uh, you know dropped like AJ Dillon, I mean, I'd pick him up just for the contingent value. Like I know that most of his work has been uh, during positive game scripts, uh, like for for the Packers. But looking at like their upcoming schedule, like who do they got this weekend? So they've got. They've got Washington. Uh, they got Washington this weekend. So that project to be like Arizona in a couple of weeks. And then I forget like who they've got in week nine, like before that's it. And oh, what that's uh, Kansas city in week nine. So like, while we can't really project like positive game trips, but they've been just willing to throw out both him and a, uh, him and Aaron Jones at the same time. What was, I think it was called like their pony package, like where they have both of them split out wide. Uh, so it's just like, there's entirely, there's a realm where like AJ Dillon and, uh, and AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, like wind up being useful, like on a weekly basis, uh, just because like outside of Devonte Adams, like who are we really expecting from a passing perspective? Like Robert Tunyon hasn't, hasn't been there at all. Al Lazard, like minus that pop pass that he walked, like got last week also hasn't been there. Randall Cobb has only popped up once this year as well. So, I mean, I, I would, if anything, like oscillate back, like towards the running backs and AJ Dillon could be a dude that could, would be useful, especially during these bye weeks. Nice. Let me, let me ask you about uh, the, the, the Zach Ertz trade and the fallout from the Zach Ertz trade and kind of just how you believe that this kind of shakes out, you know, in Arizona. And maybe this isn't a great test because this, they're 17 point home favorites. We might, it might be just kind of a game that we don't get a full tale of, the, of what exactly is going to happen anyways, because if Davis Mills plays like he has and every week outside of one, uh, this could be a runaway in the second half. Uh, the, the, actually the, the Texans right now have been outscored, uh, 109 to 27 in the second half this season, <laughs> um, uh, which is absolutely bananas, but, uh, yeah. How do we see the shake X? We, you know, this is a team that's run a lot of four wide receiver sets and it was ramping up and now it kind of feels like, is this going to be a roadblock now? Not even for Rondell Moore, but potentially even for Christian Kirk. It, it could be. Um, but I think the the big thing is how this is going to affect uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think there was a uh, it was you uh, you put out that tweet. What was it like two or three weeks ago about like non DeAndre Hopkins like through mm-hmm. the first like three weeks of the season? And I had done I looked at the same like through the uh, through first like five weeks of the season. And I believe it was last year the gap between uh, DeAndre Hopkins and like any of the other guys that were on the team at the time. So it was like Larry Fitzgerald, Andy Isabella. Uh, that's a name I haven't like really thought about in the past you know for a while. But uh, the gap between DeAndre Hopkins and uh, and the rest of those guys was about like maybe two to three hundred yards from 
remembering correctly, through the first like five weeks of the season from an air yards perspective. Uh, but this season has actually increased up to about like over 500 air yards, like uh, through, uh, through the first like five weeks of the season. And with their inclusion of guys like Max Williams, you know, rest in peace, and like Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, AJ Green also, I mean, it's great to see like one of my Cincinnati favorites, uh, like flourishing down in Arizona. Uh, it's just uh, the hope was that like with Max Williams going down, like some of those targets will oscillate back to like DeAndre Hopkins. But now with this trade for Zach Ertz, I mean, the team's kind of signaling how they want this passing game to move forward. Like they want more options for Kyler Murray. And that's great for Kyler Murray and for folks that drafted Kyler Murray. But DeAndre Hopkins, like outside of those two touchdown games, he's really kind of living on touchdowns. I mean, outside of the touchdowns, he's been what outside of the top 30 uh, in terms of PPR scoring, like for the past like three to four weeks. I mean, just was it that week one, uh, week one when he was, I think, like top 24 and then like weeks like three and four or week three, if I remember correctly. But other than that, I mean, he's really been like one of those guys that we really just need him to get into the paint in order to rely on him from a fantasy perspective. So like with Zach Ertz coming in, I can almost seem like falling into that role that he had, uh, the, the role that they had slated for Max Williams. And this really does kind of crater our expectations for, for DeAndre Hopkins, where he's not going to be that wide receiver one getting the same level of targets as like guys like Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas in his heyday. Like that's, that can't be our expectation. We need to adjust for that. Like if it's really just, he's down in that 20 to 20, uh, 22% range, which might work out for, for him, but it's just, unless he's getting those touchdowns, it's just, it's very difficult to say. So Zach Ertz, I think he can walk into a decent target share, but for everybody else in that offense just becomes more confusing on a week to week basis. Yeah. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is living the inverse life that he had last year. Last year, he was all volume, no touchdowns. He had just, just 12 and a half percent of his PPR points came from touchdowns last year. It was the lowest rate for all wide receiver ones in the NFL. And now this year, 36 and a half percent of his PPR points are from touchdowns, the highest dependency on touchdowns of the top 75 scorers at the wide receiver position. Uh, so he is living off those touchdowns and it's going to be tough because like, what are you never, you're never going to bench DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, no. so, I mean, we've talked for a couple of weeks that he was a guy to look to potentially to move off rosters, but he keeps scoring touchdowns here. So keep getting windows to sell him. And listen, I was not in on AJ green at any level, but I am happy for him. Uh, that because you know uh, uh, he was such an easy player to root for, and you were a Bengals mm-hmm. fan, but even from the outside not being a Bengals fan, he's always been an easy player to root for the way he's handled his himself on the field. And oh, yeah. for him not to have to go out the way the last two years went for him, and actually having a little bit of a swan song is nice to see. Uh, yeah, so it's so minus good. fighting <laughs> with uh, minus fighting with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, are they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but this is I, I see the biggest robot. Everyone wants Rondell Moore to be a thing, and it's just a, it's a thing where he's going to he's he's looking like he's going to be a paperweight on your rosters. So I don't know when you really play him or, or you can predict the weeks that he'll have high usage. So two weeks ago, I thought he was going to have high usage because Chase Edmonds came and banged up and mm-hmm. I thought that he would benefit. And uh, he did a little bit, but that, that one's, it's going to be tough to get a signal on these ancillary Cardinals guys. You're just going to have to take the good with the bad or get them off your rosters. Uh, but on the other side of that, like we are pretty locked in now, uh, you know, barring his return from COVID this week, of uh, Dallas Goddard being now in the the pack of guys we can trust every week at the position? I think so. I mean, the targets have to be there for somebody because beforehand it was, well, if Zach Ertz is still going to be on that team, like why am I drafting like Dallas Goddard? Mm-hmm. Like what, what's the point now? If we're going to wind up seeing like a similar target share split between those two guys, like why would I take Dallas Goddard in the sixth, seventh or eighth round? Why well, can just draft like Zach Ertz essentially for free? Like throughout most of the best ball season, like Zach Ertz was a guy that you could pick up in the 18th, 19th, 20th round. But now like with his absence and with what the really like inconsistent production from guys like Quez Watkins, Jalen Rager, like Dallas Goddard does have to fall in, like fall back into like our good graces, at least from an opportunity perspective. And with uh, Dallas or not Dallas, uh, like Philadelphia being like one of the more like pass heavy uh, like teams, like so far, at least like sitting around like league average in terms of like pass rate over expectation. Like at least I think that Dallas Goddard should fall into a decent amount of opportunity moving forward. Nice. Absolutely. Anyone else here on the board, any position, anyone else you're looking at this week, a sneaky play, a guy that is on your radar this week, uh, any, at any other spot? No, I think that's, I think we pretty much like touched on it all. Like I know that like bye weeks are like bye weeks and injuries are just going to be awful. I think it was JJ was uh, posting a team, one of the, one of his teams where it's just like, half of his players were either on by or like on injured reserve, which is like just absolutely awful. Uh, but I think we've hit on most of the guys. Like if you just find a guy that you can at least envision or tell yourself a story of like seeing like multiple targets, like for this week or even for the next few weeks, whether it be because of injuries to like his, uh, his teammates or even the matchups that he's going to be in, 
I mean, if you can tell yourself that story, then I'm not going to fault you like for, for starting him right now. I mean, I know we were kind of down on the uh, on the Cleveland running backs, but I mean, if that's the if those are the players that you're kind of forced into, then yeah, I mean, like those are the guys you're going to have to rely on just because you might need that production for this week. But otherwise, I'm not going to fight anybody like on trying to start guys like Devonta Freeman, Demetric Felton, or any of those guys because we just need that production. We need at least to be able to tell ourselves a story about that opportunity possibly being there for them. Beautiful. So I'm going to keep jamming Brandon and you can buy lineups. I'm going to try, man. (laughs) We're trying to make it happen. One of these weeks, it's going to happen. No, no, listen, they're going to need him. Still no George Kittle. I would tell myself that. But uh, listen, no, it's great. Uh, A a lot of knowledge brought to the table. It's a a fun week for fantasy. A lot of people are like said, like are panicking about this week. I think weeks like this are fun. It makes it fun for us as analysts. We don't, we have different things to talk about and like, we get to talk about all the players we talk about on this podcast. I think it's yeah. just fun that, you know, we get to talk about these guys and have this opportunity not talk about chalky plays. Um, but on their way out of here, let the people know where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find some of your work and some of the things you're doing right now. So you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen, FFWX. I mean, the FFWX fantasy football weather, that's the, that's my mainstay or like why folks like typically ask me questions every now and again. Uh, my weekly weather report uh, should be over on 44 football. I put that out every Friday morning. I do a run of the forecast on Thursday nights, but then I update it on Saturday evenings and also Sunday mornings, like shortly before the t- uh, 12 p.m. Eastern or no, 1 p.m. Eastern lock. Just let people know, all right, here's what I'm seeing, like all the way up until game time at least as soon as that is possible. But I also do like dynasty work over at Football Guys, also on the Thursday and Sunday morning shows with Sigmund Bloom. Also do work over at NBC Sports Edge. I give the Thursday night preview. So actually tomorrow morning, you'll see a column for me over on NBC Sports kind of previewing uh, the tomorrow's matchup, which uh, I mean, not as I mean, not as uh, I guess exciting as the past few weeks, but you know, somebody's got to do it. So yeah, you can find me over there as well. Beautiful. Uh, listen, it was great having you on. Uh, hopefully we hang on to some nice weather still here in Ohio while we can. Uh, I would like that very much. Uh, but it was great having you on. And uh, good luck to everybody in week seven. As my, my guy MC says, always hit those cash lines. Hopefully everyone comes out with a win. And we'll see you here in week eight.